Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Stolen Goodbyes podcast with me, Karen Rice. This is being recorded remotely due to the COVID-19 restrictions. Today, I'm joined by Georgina Forsyth from Warwickshire, who lost her father, John Langford, to COVID-19 on May the 7th. He was 63. Welcome, Georgina. Hello. Thanks for joining the podcast. Okay. I want to begin by asking you what your dad was like as a person. Oh, he was he was a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, he was very quiet. So he died when I was 36. And even in those 36 years, I still had to say to him when we were having a conversation, Dad, can you just speak up a bit? Because he, he'd almost whisper. So he was very quiet, shy. But he had a, a very sharp wit. He was, he was really funny. He'd, you know, you'd be sat in a room full of people for half an hour sometimes and then he'd just come out with a one-liner and have us all in stitches he was he was a real hard worker he'd been a fireman for 23 years and he was his passion he absolutely loved it and he he worked full-time pretty much until he he, the day he died mum was battling with him to go part-time which he did a, a up until he started going part-time about a year before he died but that was a struggle yeah he just had a fantastic work ethic um, so but yeah spent, he was just he spent his life uh, saving other people's lives then that's it and I wanted to say that to the people in hospital please you know he saved so many lives it's his turn now yeah and what was he like as a father amazing um so we grew up in Cheshire in a village called Tarpley it was it was more traditional back then I've got my own family now but back in the I was born in 83 you know the it was very much the man went out to work or it was in our house mum dad went out to work and and mum was always at home she had the odd job as a dinner lady and and cook and but worked around the kids um, but yeah, he was a fantastic dad. He was, he was the provider. But when he was at home, he was with us and we went on lovely family holidays and had some amazing times together. We really did. Any particular memories that stand out for you? That you look back on um, now? Yeah, the holidays. I think with a lot of families, holidays are happy memories, aren't they? So we went to America. That was our big treat holiday um in 94 so I was 11 we did the west coast hired a car five of us I've got two brothers did uh golden gate bridge did the grand canyon with helicopter ride um got lost a few times because dad's sense of direction was (laughs) dismal which I've inherited so that and and camping holidays in France he actually broke his foot on one of the holidays in France. In fact, he did get ill quite a lot on the holiday. So, 
Um, so yeah, it's uh, quite ironic that his story ended in the way it did. Um, but how yeah. Did he, how did he break his foot? He was playing five-a-side football with some of the locals <laughs> yeah, and fell, fell um, in a funny way down a rabbit hole. We ended up having a French nurse have to come to our tent every day for the rest of the holiday to give him injections. So that was oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was never dull with Dad around. Never dull. That's a great anecdote. Mm. And what do you miss about him most now? Well, I'm one of three. I've got a brother either side, so I'm the only girl. And I, I was a proper daddy's girl and um, just misses hugs. Gave the best, gave me the best hugs and just a soppy look. He was too soft with me, really. And he'd just say, oh, my darling, come in, give me a big hug. That's what I miss. Oh, that sounds mm. beautiful. Yeah. So bring me to March this year and the run up to to them to your parents going away. Mm. Okay, so this year was a big year for our family. Mum turned sixty in January, and it was Mum and Dad's Ruby wedding anniversary, end of March. So forty years married, and um, they decided to go on a cruise to South America. So. It was actually me that dropped them off at Birmingham Airport on the 1st of March. And um, it's quite hard to remember back to then, but thinking back, thinking, well, what were we thinking? There was, you know, coronavirus was around, but at that time, the FCO were just saying, as long as COVID isn't in the country that you're travelling to, just just carry on. So, so that I just said... That was government advice? government advice yeah we've, we've you know this has never happened before so i'd sent them on their merry way and where were they going south america um on was a cruise first, that was the first of march first of march yeah um i just told them to have you know a fantastic time it was trip of a lifetime it was a three and a half week holiday so yeah just sent them on their way and said have a great time and didn't really hear from them we had a whatsapp group family whatsapp group going and the only time we heard from them in the first two weeks was for them to message my brothers to say can you um sort our football out they, they did a thing called super six and they said can you sort our fixtures out for us and we joked at the time and said oh you know, blooming heck, there's a global pandemic going on. Not heard from you in two weeks. And all you're worried about is your football fixtures. But yeah, that and it was fine. Everything was absolutely fine. But as you know, over here, things started to escalate pretty quickly overnight, really. And I think that was about mid-March, maybe a bit late the 17th. I got an email from mum off the cruise ship basically saying... Um, the cruise company that they were traveling with was cutting their holiday short. Instead of them traveling back on the 24th of March, they'd got flights back on the 19th from Buenos Aires. So I thought, okay, it's not ideal, but at least we're going to get them home. So they had flights booked back to Heathrow. And mum was saying, you know, can you come and get us? Because by then, I think we'd gone into lockdown. It's, it's all a bit hazy because so much has happened. 
So I said, I'll be there. I will be there to get you from Heathrow. Don't worry about it. Um, the 19th of March came, which is when they were meant to be flying. And um, apparently they got woken up on the cruise ship by Buenos Aires uh, officials hammering on their door at 3.30 in the morning, taking everyone's temperatures. Um, it was just madness by the sounds of it. Anyway, mum and dad had to be in reception for half seven that morning, took their cases and they just waited and waited and waited and waited to be disembarked. They apparently let some Canadians off the ship, some Swiss and some Argentinians, but they wouldn't let the Brits off to get the flights home. And um, consequently, mum and dad missed that flight back to Heathrow um, and had to stay on the ship. What reason did they give? There wasn't. My mum said, is, is it political? We, we'll never know. I mean, if they, if they hadn't have let anyone off the ship, I could swallow that pill because I'd say, well, the world was in panic mode. Of course, they wouldn't let them off. Although at that time, there were no COVID cases on board. I, und I would have understood that. But the fact they let some nationalities off and not others is just it's unacceptable to me, really. So just was there can't... much communication um, with your mum or dad when they were on the ship? Yeah, so from them there was daily communication. My mum's got up and running now, but at that time they were both technophobes. They had a phone with them, but it wouldn't work, so I couldn't FaceTime them. My brothers couldn't FaceTime them, but they could email us, so we had daily emails from them. The plan from then was... How were they both uh, feeling? Sorry, how were they both feeling? At that no, it's time? okay. Very, very anxious, anxious to get home. Um, but were they well in themselves? Well, my dad had rheumatoid arthritis, so he was on steroids, and as a result, his immune system was low. So he was, he was the concern, really. Um, they both have overactive thyroids, but really it was the rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so yeah, just anxious, anxious to get home, and it, it's just very, very worrying time. I remember reading the email off mum. I was downstairs in the kitchen at home, saying, "Look, can't beat around the bush. Gee, we've missed, we've not been able to get home." And I just broke down. I just, you know, when you just have a gut feeling something's going to go horribly wrong, I, and I just couldn't stop. I just broke down. I just was beside myself really my husband had to come and calm me down um but the plan from there was by the cruise company to just try and get them onto dry land so they could be repatriated so they then spent nearly two weeks at sea um they tried getting off at montevideo rio nowhere in south america would let them off they then ended up at uh, fort lauderdale in florida two weeks later but the coast guard wouldn't let them off there because two other cruise ships had got in before them um so how, they then how were they then at that point i mean at, so in that two weeks mum and dad were meant to be home on the 24th of march and their anniversary was the 29th of march and they were actually on the cruise ship then oh um and they ended up having a party with some of their friends. So they and they apparently they had a whale of a time. They were in a little bubble. There were no COVID cases on board, as far as they knew. You know, and they were hearing stories back at home of us fighting over toilet roll and 
I was starting homeschooling my two kids, so they were feeling sorry for us, really. They were in a bubble. and At least that's, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, that's they cool. did. Yeah, definitely. So, so, yeah, as I said, daily communication from mum, just saying we're trying to keep going and uh, the cruise company were being brilliant and keeping the entertainment going. But she was like, you could, you could see it painted on all the staff's faces. They were exhausted and everyone just wanted to get home. Um, anyway, we got to beginning of April. They finally docked in Miami. It was, and after weeks at sea, we were just so happy. But I remember somehow... mum called I think she managed to call me from a cabin and she said dad's not feeling well and at that point I just I I said to her you can't write this we've been fighting for you to get repatriation flights and there were two BA flights waiting on the runway at Miami and and dad had a fever and I said has he got a cough well, she said he, he always had a cough. He was an ex-smoker. He'd not spoke for years, but she said he has got a cough, but it's just his normal cough. Anyway, he was being sick, which is a symptom it's come out. And um, he got moved to another um, cabin. Mum and dad got se- separated on the ship. By At this point, everyone on board had been isolated in their rooms because COVID had actually got onto the cruise ship. Um, and the repatriation flights with the other 400 Brits went back to Heathrow and mum was left on her own on the cruise ship and dad got admitted to a hospital in Miami and mum was unable to go with him because of the pandemic how awful it's just horrific did you speak to her at that point that must have been a low point I'll never forget it I'll just I remember saying to her this is inhumane like how how is this able to happen and she she told me when she got home she when she got back to the UK she actually ended up she was in a cabin and she fell into the wardrobe she must have just lost her foot in and she just fell into the wardrobe and she was just sobbing she was just distraught we couldn't really get in touch with dad actually at that point we didn't even know where he was we didn't know what nobody called my mum to say oh by the way Linda your husband's been admitted to such and such a hospital don't worry he's okay we'll make sure someone from the consulate in Miami will look after him he's been assigned to this person we had to chase we were always having to chase and find out where he was who made the decision to to move him and to bring him to hospital well there were two places dad could go off the cruise ship either he was going home on that repatriation flight but he he wasn't allowed because he was symptomatic he couldn't stay on the cruise ship they didn't have the medical care there so the only place he was going was hospital so it was the the medical staff on board the cruise ship checked him over said he had covid symptoms so he had to go to hospital to be tested okay mm. and what happened then with your mom? so mom then spent five days isolated in that cabin on the cruise ship because she'd been in contact with dad 
who'd had symptoms. They wouldn't let her fly home at that point. So she spent five days on her own in that cabin, not knowing where my dad was. She didn't have a mobile phone on her, so she could ring. She had a phone in her room. She could ring out to me, but I didn't know the number and nobody would give me the telephone number, so I couldn't call her. Oh so she was just, she was just, just fraught, distressed. She was out of her mind. Out, out of her mind. Awesome. The, yeah, so um, I was playing at this point I, I'm self-employed I'd lost both my clients they because I work in hospitality sales that said sorry got to put things on hold I'd started homeschooling my two kids and this was going on and I just I don't know how I did it to be honest but yeah tracked dad down in the hospital but and he had a phone in his room but it broke the phone blooming broke so we couldn't contact dad very well but we, we, I did manage to speak to him. He, he had his test for COVID. He was waiting on results. Um, How was he sounded he in himself at that point? He sounded the day after he got admitted. He sounded breathless to me, and I said, "Dad, are you all right? Do you, do you need some oxygen?" And he was like, "I just feel really sick." He just felt really nauseous, and and then I spoke to him a couple of days after, and he sounded. 10 times worse and and the words he said to me was I'm buggered G and I, I thought you sounded dad I didn't say it to him I just said come on it doesn't matter how long it takes dad you just you need to get better we need you um I think at this point he knew mum was going to be flying home and he'd said to her get off that blooming ship just get off the ship he just wanted a home. He wanted a safe. That was the kind of person he was. Oh, that's so touching. Looking mm. after her. Always. He always looked after her. He was more worried about mum and the phone bill. When I called him, he, he emailed me because he had his Kindle with him in, in his room and he emailed me saying, thank you so much for letting me know mum's okay. Please don't call again. It'll cost you a fortune. I was thinking, oh my God, only you would be worrying about that. Did you have uh, any conversations with the medics in America? It was very, as time went on, yes. But at that stage, it was very limited. We were just in panic mode. We just wanted to know he was being looked after, that he was okay. At that point, and looking back, I feel so guilty. I was more worried about my mum because my mum was, they were both in dire situations, but mum was on her own in a cabin. And we didn't know what was going to happen. So I was more worried about her. At least I knew dad was in a hospital and he had people around him. Um, so, so yeah, it was just a really, really intense, crazy, worrying, fraught, ridiculously stressful situation. And so your mother was in the cabin. Yeah. What happened then? Well, she was, as I say, she was there for five days. About day three or four, she got a call from the consulate over there saying, would you consider flying back to the UK? To which her answer was absolutely no. You can swivel, not leaving my husband with potential COVID in a foreign country. But it then got to the stage where they said to her, look, Linda, 
you can't stay on the cruise ship. We're disembarking everyone. She was one of the last to leave that ship. You're not allowed to stay in a hotel. Um, the American authorities wouldn't let her. And, and honestly, me and my brother said we wouldn't have wanted her to do that because she was at risk of catching the virus. She just wasn't safe out there and, and she wasn't allowed to go and see dad in hospital. So they said, you've got to fly back to the UK. And oh, I just do not know how she did that. I don't know how she had the strength to, to fly home. And when she flew home, she then had to go into two weeks isolation because she'd been on an infected cruise ship. So she had to spend two weeks alone at home making daily calls to, to the hospital to dad. It's just horrific. How we just looking back, it was just like layer upon layer of cruelty it just kept coming. She must have struggled with leaving him behind. Oh, she didn't have a choice. Hands were tied, but yeah, she just your husband of forty years is ill in hospital. She couldn't go to him. But she called, she called me, I'd called my brothers and she called me and she said, what should I do, G? I said, look, mum, you haven't got a choice and we, we want you home. At that time, it was, come on, it's America, it's private medical health care. Surely they'll be taking good care of him. We'll get dad right. But in the meantime, you can't stay out there and be at risk of catching the virus as well. Let's just get you home and then we can all focus on dad together we said you know you'll have the internet at home you've got your phone we'll 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 tackle dad as a family so so what happened then no oh, just hell daily phone calls to the hospital i think it was Piecing, trying to piece everything together because we're limited with our information that we have on dad's hospital journey. But I think the night mum flew back to the UK, dad was then admitted to work to intensive care. His, his, you know, his um, state just, he had to go on oxygen and he was admitted to ICU. So then it was, look, the good thing about him going to ICU, the communication improved. We had daily calls with the doctors who were, when we got to, spoke to them, speak to them, they were incredible. But yeah, he, I think it was six days then in ICU. They had him in the prone position on his side, trying to really get his oxygenation levels up. He was on an oxygen mask. And then we had the horrible call to say he, he's been intubated. We've had to put him on a ventilator. <sighs> Just. And then it was three weeks. He fought for three weeks. They gave him a thing called plasma, which I'd never heard of. But apparently over here, we were slower to get it. But that's one thing I am sure of over there. He did get such good medical treatment he had a plasma transfusion they they really did everything they could but he just had enough he was like he just he was done how awful and that he'd be so far away from home and his loved ones <sighs> no i just i just can't begin to describe the pain that I felt when I got the call from mum to say 
you know, dad's died, just it physically hit me in the chest and just dying. You know, when someone goes to hospital, you just, you're there, aren't you? And you just assume that's your right, it's their right as a human, that you're going to be there and for him to have died alone. I've accepted he's gone. It's nearly five and a half months on. I've accepted he's gone, but I will never accept the circumstances around my dad's death ever because he was such a good man. He worked his arse off all his life. You know, he was an amazing husband, dad, granddad to my two kids, and he did not deserve to die alone in America, thousands of miles from his family. Just, it's just unbelievable. Do you feel that if he had, both your parents had been allowed onto the flight from Buenos Aires to London, that there would have been a different outcome. Yeah, he'd be here. He'd absolutely be here. And I don't want to feel angry because, you know, anger can eat you up. And Dad wouldn't want me to feel angry. And I've thought, yes, I could get angry at Boris for not shutting down earlier. I could get angry at the officials at Buenos Aires. But it's not going to bring my dad back. It's really not. But yeah, if, if they'd have been allowed to get off at that point, I don't even think the virus was on the ship at that point. In fact, they could have brought it on. I don't know. I don't know how it got on the ship. Um, but yeah, he'd, he'd still be here. So were you able to bring your dad home? Eventually. <sighs> Three weeks it took for us to get him home. And there were conversations, um, you know, because of COVID that we may have had to have got him cremated out in America, which to me, oh my God, I just couldn't bear it. I couldn't bear it. But the insurance company were amazing. Um, and yeah, we managed to get him flown home, but it took three agonizing weeks to get him flown home. And even when he did fly home, it was the most long-winded route ever. It was Miami to Dallas-Fort Worth, so inland, and then Dallas to Heathrow. And then he was driven from Heathrow up to where we live in the Midlands. So, yeah, he had quite a journey. And he got home. He got home, thank God. So... I'm not thankful of many things, obviously, but that is one thing I am. And, and us as a family are so thankful we were able to get him home and have some kind of service for him. How was the funeral? Do you know what? I have to say <laughs> there were seven of us, but it was beautiful. Um, the crematorium where he was, I've been to cremation services before with grandparents where it's been a room with no natural lighting the coffin goes behind a curtain just and that's what I had in my head for dads but no this this crematorium had floor to ceiling massive window overlooking these 
fields, loads of natural light, and, and it was just beautiful. And our local vicar, who was he's also called John, and same age as Dad, he took the service, and he did such a, an amazing job. He he managed to find, and I I want to I know him quite well because our, our kids go to Sunday school. Um, but this reading he found from the Bible, he managed to find a reading where loved ones are parted by an ocean and how painful it is. And it, it was just a really, and the songs we chose were really personal to us as a family. And it, it was beautiful. Obviously, we would have liked a proper funeral for him, but we made the best out of a horrific, horrific situation. And also... Our family at that point, me, my husband, my two brothers, their partners and my mum, we had drawn in so close and so tight. I don't think we'd have let anyone else in anyway. We'd just battened down the hatches, just went into survival mode. We were close before this happened. Now, nothing, I don't think anything could break us. How is your mum now? Do you know what? That woman is just incredible. She always says, no, 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 she won't have it. But she is, she's just so incredible how she's dealt with it. I mean, don't get me wrong. She has had the lowest of low points, but she's gone back to work. She's got a job at a local sandwich shop only very recently in the past few weeks. She's gone back there one day a week, which was so brave of her. She's been volunteering at a local alpaca farm, picking up alpaca poo one day a week, but she loves it. She's started knitting with alpaca wool. She loves knitting and crafts, craft stuff. She's been helping me with the kids. Um, my husband has been working from her house because she's got three bedrooms and he's having to work from home. So she's got a little office worker, she says, and makes my husband a sandwich every day and is looking after him. So she's just trying to keep as busy as you can. I mean, grieving for a loved one when it was strict lockdown where you can't even hug your loved ones. It was unbearable and she couldn't keep busy there were no clubs no nothing for her to go to so but yeah she's doing amazing she really is what was your last conversation with your dad oh god this is so weird so it was at birmingham airport when i dropped them off and he said um i said see you dad have a great time gave him a hug and then he went see you love he went, uh, just so you know, my will is on the um, top drawer of the cabinet, filing cabinet in, in our bedroom. And me and mum were like, Dad, don't say that. But that was it. They were literally the last, that was the last conversation I had with him face to face. Did he know? I don't know. Just I find, I still find it weird that, that that's what he said. Is there anything that keeps you awake at night? I think, actually, I don't know if this sounds terrible, but he's the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning. And when he first passed away, I was waking up all, you know, half three, four in the morning, I'd wake up and he'd just be on my mind. If you could go back and change anything, mm. what would it be? 
just to say to them, don't get on that bloody ship. Don't go. Just don't go. I, I do beat myself up. I think it's because I took I dropped them off at the airport and, and I was saying, oh, well, we all were. We were keeping an eye on the COVID cases, but there was, there was nothing in South America. So, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? The government advice was it was safe. So, but yeah, that's what I changed. Just tell them not to go. But they wouldn't have listened. They'd have gone anyway. What emotions are you left feeling now? <sighs> Anger. Anger is a feeling I do not want to feel. But I, I am. But I am having counselling with everything that's gone on. And, and you know, I, I'm aware anger is part of grief. Don't feel angry at anyone in particular. I just, overall, I just really miss my dad. I just miss him. And I think, would I feel better if the circumstances around his death would be better? And I've come to the conclusion, no, I wouldn't, because I still wouldn't have my dad. I just miss, I just miss him. Just, And I feel robbed. 63. feel robbed of at least a decade. At least if not two. What's the one thing you wish people understood about what you've been what? through? COVID related or yes. just uh, it's a tricky one that because I just wish they and, and I have to say here my friends and family have been my rock they've been incredible but people I see on Facebook and I just wish they understood the pain I feel when I read stuff around the lines of, oh, it's a hoax, it's just the flu, we just need to carry on as normal. And I just think, have a little bit of consideration for the family members of the 40,000 plus people in the UK that have lost their life, horrid virus. And understand if we hadn't gone into lockdown, we don't know the full figures, but I, it's something like 500,000 people would have died had we not gone into lockdown, not 40,000. So, yes, I hate this pandemic. I want it to go away. The, every single day, coronavirus is on the news. That's a daily reminder for me and my family as to why we've lost dad. So I, I more than anyone want this to just go away. But we've, we've just got to ride through it and, and get through it as best we can. I think people need to think a bit more going back to normal. You can't. Okay, we go back to normal. How many lives are going to be lost through doing that? I just don't think people are rationally thinking that, that bit through. How do you feel about the fact you couldn't say goodbye? Well, I just went goosebumpy then. I understand the reasons why I couldn't say goodbye. Just why, why me, why us? I just, it's just so cruel. Cruel is the word. It's just all been so cruel. Unbelievably. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Georgina? Anything you'd like the world to know or to... Um, I think that's it. I don't want to preach to anyone. Just 
imagine if you had lost your nearest and dearest to this. Just really sit and think about it and then take take action accordingly. That's all I'd say. Okay, thank you very much, Georgina. Thank you.